Well, it is a real joy to be with you again after, I can't remember how long it is, but I think it must be about seven years or more. I don't, I'm not sure, but uh, we had a few visits earlier on when the church was being founded, and it's a, it's a real joy in my heart to, in our hearts to be back again and to share with you. And we thank God for, you know, what he is doing in your midst and the presence of God that is with you. And even though you may be small in number, you know, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord is here. He's with you. And he has awesome purposes ahead. Amen. Amen. Now, I got a message I just felt late. We've been talking a lot just around the table and sharing with the Humphreys and and uh, we're talking a bit about revival and God moving in different places. And, you know, that is our hope. That is our expectancy. And I, I want to share along the lines of revival this morning. Um, you know, we're living in, we're living in momentous times. Uh, but I believe we're on the verge of the, the, the greatest revival the world has ever known. It's like we're on the verge. We're, we're on the threshold. And... It's like if the enemy is putting up every weapon of attack to stop and to frustrate the people of God and to hinder and to block, you know, what God is about to do. And, you know, what a privilege to be alive in this day when, you know, we, we look at past revivals and we say, well, praise the Lord, this happened, this happened, wonderful things. But nothing in the past is going to equal what God has got in the future. And, and to think that we're alive and we're, you know, as it were, on the verge of it, uh, you know, coming into great revival. And there's going to be judgments as well. There's going to be, you know, judgments coming into the great tribulation time, the tribulation, great tribulation, and then, of course, the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, as we've been singing this morning, um, Isaiah 60, that familiar scripture that we sing, we, we quote, but it, it sums up in a nutshell, you know, where we are at the moment and, and, and what God is doing and even the, you know, songs we're singing of the glory of God and that glory, that glory, it is coming. God has given touches of that glory and he's going to move in his glory in, in, in the days ahead. And, you know, Isaiah 60, and, and remember this is written, this is written 2,700 years ago, and, and it describes exactly, you know, where the church is at today. And Isaiah says, Arise, where to arise, where to shine, the light has come, the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And when does this happen? Verse 2, the darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So, and I believe it's talking the literal glory of God, that literal glory of God, presence of God, you know, will be seen on us. And, and then it goes on then in verse 5, then thou shalt see and flow together. There'll be a great flowing together, a tremendous oneness and revival, unity, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. And it gives the reason why. It says the abundance of the sea shall be converted. And the sea... S-E-A, 
it speaks there of, you know, humanity, the abundance of the sea. And, you know, think of all the, the fish in the sea. Uh, he's making us fishes of men. But the abundance of the fi fish, the abundance will be, will be gathered. And it's talking about an incredible harvest. It's, it's not, not just the sea or humanity shall be converted, but the abundance, you know, an awesome harvest. Tens of thousands upon thousands upon thousands, and an innumerable number will be around the throne. They'll be worshipping the Lamb forever and ever and ever. And you know what, what glorious times we're, we're on the threshold, we're on, on, on the verge of. And uh, verse, back in verse 3, the Gentiles shall come to thy light. And you know, God's going to touch, you know, key people, kings even, to the brightness of thy rising. And I believe our lives get a touch, you know, all kinds. But, you know, key people will be touched who will have great influence on others and, and, bring, and be used of God to bring others into the kingdom of God. And then it says in verse 5, when it speaks about the abundance of the sea, converted, great harvest, great ingathering. And it says there, the forces of the Gentiles, the Hebrew word for forces there, it's, it speaks the wealth, the wealth of the Gentiles, the wealth of the heathen, those who are unsaved now. Many, you know, key people are going to get, 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 to get saved. They're going to come to the Lord and their resources and their wealth that, that they've been blessed with will be used for the kingdom of God. And so the purposes of God and, and you know, Bible schools and every nation of the earth and, and, you know, literature and books and everything. I mean, it's going to be God's going to... What God ordains, God is going to finance and God is going to supply, you know, every need. Not just our personal needs, but the, 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 the tremendous needs, the millions of dollars that's going to be needed for the, for the, the extension of the, the work of God and teaching all over the world. So, you know, we're living in, in tremendous times. You know, Joel is another, another prophet in the Old Testament who lived some 800 years before Christ. And, and here he speaks of the, 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 we've been singing about this also, the early rain, the latter rain. We know that the early rain is, is, speaks of the early church, the latter rain speak, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early ch church. But the latter rain, which is much greater, some say up to eight times greater, uh, that, that, that heavy latter rain, which brings the crop to maturity, that's going to be, speaks of, which has not yet been fulfilled, and that speaks of the last day revival. And Joel says in Joel 2, in verse 28, it said, you know, that God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams. And the spirit of God will come on the servants and the handmaidens. And, uh, you know, a tremendous outflowing and outpouring of the spirit of God. And, you know, and Peter quotes that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, he quotes it, but he, he quotes that verse. Um, and in Acts chapter 2, um, but it, it's uh, it, it, when he quotes it, it's, it's, it's the, in the original, it's, this is the beginning of that which was spoken by Joel. In other words, the early church and the outpouring of the Spirit and revival there, that is just the beginning. Uh, but the, the, the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the final deluge of the Holy Spirit and, and revival will be in the last days, and it will be in the fulfillment of the Old Testament feast of Passover. So we have so many, so many Old Testament scriptures, you know, pointing to revival in the last in in, in the last days. And in Book of James five and verses seven and eight, 
There James speaks of the husbandman and the farmer who waits for the harvest. And he, he's waiting you know, for that crop to mature. And again, we see in the early church, it, it, the harvest began to come in. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost, you know, 5,000 a little bit later, and uh, the harvest was what was gathered in. And, you know, it's going to be revived. We need revival to bring the church to Mount Zion. We need revival to bring us to maturity and, and, and to come to Mount Zion in the last days. And as Joel says, uh, Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be shall be saved or shall be delivered shall be delivered, and so you know there's there's a tremendous battle going on at the moment. The, the powers of the enemy are seeking to do everything to stop revival, and we're seeing it very much not only in local churches, but you know in the nation in the nation, and there's a tremendous battle spiritual battle in the spirit, you know, for this nation. And, you know, America, as a nation, we desperately, we desperately need revival. Revival is really the only hope. And, you know, without revival and the church pressing into God, you know, there is no hope. There can only be judgment. And, you know, we see... You know, month by month, you, you think, well, things get worse, and then they think, well, like, surely they can't get any worse, but yet something else happens, and, and things just go from, from, from bad to worse, and, and the darkness seems to be getting darker and darker. We see growing violence, corruption, evil, darkness, and, you know, the answer really, the real answer to these problems, you know, is revival. It's not just ideologies, it's not just politics, it's not just protests, it's not education, it's not a better eco economy, you know, it's revival. But we just can't turn on the revival like we turn on the tap. I mean, it, it doesn't work that way. God, revival is sovereign. Revival comes from God. We can't make it happen. But, but on the other hand, yet, it, it's sovereign from God. It seems contradictory, but it's not really. Revival is sovereign from God, and yet there's a human element involved. And because God says, you know, as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And so there's, there's a part that we can play, and as we press into God, uh, you know, God can, it can, it can, it can prepare the way for God to pour out his spirit. And there are certain things we can do to prepare the way. And what, one of them is what we're doing tomorrow night, is coming together to pray corporately together, you know, for revival. And, you know, it's clear from that, again, a very well-known scripture we all know, we can probably all quote 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, my people, you know, the answer really to the situation in America today is not the government, it's not politics. It's his church. It's his church. And if God's people become desperate for him, you know, if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves, if they'll pray, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, if they'll seek my face, if they do those four things, God says, you know, I will forgive this. I will hear their cry. I'll forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 
heal their land. And, you know, God spoke those words at the time of the dedication of Solomon's temple, but one key phrase there, will turn from their wicked ways, speaking about, you know, ongoing repentance. And, you know, Pastor Daniel's been sharing, you know, on that, on that line of repentance, an ongoing repentance and a deeper cleansing in our hearts to prepare us, you know, for revival, to prepare us for revival. And in 1955, Pastor Bailey was living in Switzerland at that time, and, and God gave him a, a series of visions for six days. And it was like it was God was showing him the awesome revival to come. And he said revival, he, Pastor Bailey said that revival will be beyond our wildest dreams, revival of such power and of such glory. And, you know, in those visions, he saw great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which... You know, we have not yet seen. We've not yet we've seen tasters, but we have not yet seen that happen. And he also received, as well as the the uh, visions of revival, he also received visions of God's judgments. And 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 this this is visions of God's judgment. That was in he shared that at a world map camp, I believe, in 1967. And natural disasters coming upon certain countries. And Isaiah 60, 26 and verse 9, it says, For when your, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the earth will learn righteousness. And in this coming revival, I believe it, it's not just revival only, but revival will be, as in the early church, revival and persecution. I mean, there, when they started preaching the gospel, when people started getting saved, what happened? It ended up the apostles, early on in the book of Acts, were thrown into jail and there was persecution. And we see, you know, wherever the apostle Paul went, it was either either it was either revival or it was a riot. And he ended up in prison, on, you know, on different occasions. And so we can expect in the future as we look to great revival, yes, but there's going to be, there's going to be persecution and some of it's going to be simultaneously, you know, at the, at the same time. Most of you would have heard of, you know, David Wilkinson and the crossing the switchblade and the work in New York, and he's he's with the Lord now. But before he was the um, pastor of a Times Square of Times Square Church in New York, and a, a vision a, a vision that he had, which was related to uh, Dr. Mike Evans, and this this was in 1986, and. He said, I see a plague coming on the world. No doubt the COVID, COVID-19. And, and the bars and the churches and the government will shut down. The plague will hit New York City and shake it like it has never been shaken before. You know, those things have happened. This, this plague is going to force prayerless believers into radical prayer and into their Bibles. Repentance will be the cry of the man of God in the pulpit and out of it will come a third great awakening that will sweep America and the world. And Smith Wigglesworth, who was a mighty man of God from England, saw virtually every New Testament miracle, and there's about 14 recorded cases or more of being raised from the dead, uh, of him you know, raising people from the dead. 
um, he, he said this, that he had a vision of the last day revival, and, there, and he says, there is a revival coming that this world knows nothing about. It will come through the churches. It will come in a fresh way. When you see what God does in this revival, you will have to admit that all you have seen previous is a mere nothing in comparison with what is to come. It will eclipse anything that has been known in history. Empty churches, empty cathedrals will be packed again with worshippers. Buildings will not be able to accommodate multi the multitudes. Then you will see fields, open fields of people worshipping and praising together. And uh, in a revival, it comes from God. It is God drawing individuals to himself on a very large scale. And really, we need revival to carry us through the judgments of God, which are coming. And revival is really whole community communities. It's not just sort of just a small church or within churches, but revival is going to affect not just believers, but unbelievers and the unsaved. And he will pour out his spirit on all flesh, you know, Muslim flesh, on Hindu flesh, on Buddhist flesh. You know, Chinese flesh, Indian flesh, all flesh. And communities will be saturated sovereignly by the power of God. In revival, God moves in a district. Whole communities become God conscious. In revival, the spirit of men grips men and women in such a way that even sometimes work is given up and people give themselves to waiting on God. And I think that the supreme characteristic, you know, of a God-sent revival is, you know, the presence of God, the presence of God right there in our midst. And we see in Isaiah 64, first couple of verses, we see the cry of the, of the prophet and we, we, see, we see the vision of the prophet towards the end of his life and... And he, he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens. The prophet on earth, Isaiah, he's crying out to God. He said, Lord, Lord, rend the heavens. Tear open the heavens. Tear open the heavens. Come down in our midst. And, and then verse 2, that the nations or the heathen, you know, may tremble, tremble in awe at thy presence. And then it goes in, in 60, Isaiah 64, that well-known verse in verse 4. For, Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard. They have not heard by the ear. They have, not, they have not known. You know, the wonderful, incredible things that God has for them who wait for him, for wait to wait for him. And we've got to press into God and to wait upon him and cry out to him, you know, for revival to come. God is incredible things in store for those who will wait for him. Habakkuk, he is a cry in his heart, you know, for revival. Revive, and he, Habakkuk 3 verse, to revive thy work in the midst of the years. Revive thy work. You know, one of the wonderful choruses that Sarah was wrote, you know, send revival, Lord, which we sing often up in, up in Waverley. And, uh, you know, based on that, that scripture from Habakkuk, 
And, and Habakkuk's cry, revive thy work, revive it, send revival in the midst of the years. And, you know, that is, God is putting a heart cry, you know, many believers, you know, at this time to pray and to pray afresh and to press into God in a new way that revival will be birthed in our midst. And Habakkuk says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Now, we want the work to be revived, but also we, we need to be revived ourselves. So we could really say, you know, revive us first, revive us, because we're going we're to multiply what we are. And that's, the, that's why it's so necessary that the character of, of the Lord be worked out in our lives so that we're, we're ready, we're prepared, you know, for, for revival. And when people do come in, we can multiply, we're going to multiply what we are. And that's why, you know, we need to, you know, we need to allow the God to deal with things in our lives which are not pleasing to him, you know, maybe fears or anxieties, maybe pride, envy, hidden things in our heart. God wants to bring to the surface to cleanse us so, so that we're ready for revival. And when the multitudes come in, you know, we're gonna they're gonna become like the like the Lord. We're gonna become, you know, like us. And as we become more and more like the Lord. And then we see the cry of David. You know, and the, the thing about King David, I mean, that we appreciate so much is basically he was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart. He loved the presence of God. He wanted the presence of God. There was a cry in his heart for God's presence. Psalm 63, 1 and 2. And we see that heart cry. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. As we came in a prophetic word this morning, a dry and thirsty where no water is. And, you know, God, that dryness, God wants to fill it with his, his power, his glory, his presence. You know, revival is like a fresh meeting with God. And David has such a thirst for God, such a thirst for the Lord himself, you know, to see your power, to see your power and your glory, see your power and your glory. And a couple of pages over, Psalm 65 and verse 4, you know, blessed is the man, blessed is the woman, that thou choosest. You know, we want to be those that, you know, the Lord will choose. Blessed is the, the person that thou choosest and causes to be a, to approach unto thee. And, you know, in revival, you know, we've got to approach even the very presence of the living God, a holy God. And it's God that causes us to approach unto him and to cry out to him for revival. When I was in my 20s, when I was young, I, in New Zealand, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a full-scale revival, but it was certainly, you know, a, a touch of revival, a partial revival, a touch of revival. It was in the, in the 1970s. And, and Pastor Bailey, he came down and was, was, was involved quite a bit. He would come and then go back to the States. But the church there where things were based, it was, you know, in the early 70s would have been maybe about 300 people. And then, and then 
you know, t- two or three years later, it grew to, you know, over, over a couple of thousand. And it was not only the city of Auckland, it's where I'm from, and which is the largest city, but, but the whole nation. And, you know, the, the people would come, pe- people got saved, all kinds of people got saved. I mean, we had doctors, lawyers, carpenters, electricians, plumbers, a lot of young people, young, old, and it was just amazing, the people from all different social, you know, all kinds of walks of life, drug addicts, hippies, and, uh, and, 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 you know, people, you know, got saved from all over. And just one of the things that impressed me was just the hunger people had for God. You know, one, one person, you know, one time there's a balcony as well, one person at the older call, he was so hungry to get saved, he jumped over. Fortunately, miraculously, he didn't hurt himself. And then he got up and he ran to the altar. I mean, it was just, you know, running to the altar. And then I can remember some of the Easter conventions. Pastor Bailey would come down for the, Sister Bailey would come down for the Easter conventions and he'd speak. And, and sometimes the doors, and, and we had to move from the church because it got too small into the Auckland Town Hall. And there'd be a lot, big line up the road and waiting for the doors to be opened. And... You know how today, often people, you know, they like to sit in the back seats, but everyone wanted, the anointing was there, God was there, and people would sometimes run just to get the front seats because somehow <laughs> there was a greater, you know, touch in it and an anointing, anointing there. And uh, I can remember even a Bible study midweek, a Tuesday night Bible study, and lining up on the street and just waiting, you know, for the doors to open. And, you know, there was a, there was a real emphasis on teaching and, and different revivals. Often there's different emphasis on different, different aspects. Someone, you know, right on repentance, someone worship, someone the teachings and, and various, various things. And, and there was a real hunger for, for, for teaching of the word of God. And, and here on a, on a Tuesday night and, uh, you know, sometimes there'd be hundreds of people gathering and not just from that church, but people came from other churches just to receive teaching and, and unfolding, you know, of the of the the, the precious word of God, and uh, and you know, I, I remember distinctly line people lining up in the streets to get in, and and also worship was emph- emphasised, and new songs came out, as you know, we're getting new songs in Zion. We thank God for that, and but new songs and script, various scriptures were, were put to song, and. Uh, and sometimes we'd sing and we'd go over and over and, and then we'd sing and then people would sing in the spirit and it was, it was kind of like a wave and the wave would sort of die down and it would rise again to a crescendo. And, and it, was, it was kind of, you know, it's almost as if you could reach out your hand and touch the Lord. And sometimes people were healed. Nobody anointed them with oil. Nobody laid hands on them. Just in the worship, you know, the presence of God was, was so powerful that people were, you know, healed just... just in, 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 as they worship the Lord. And so there was an emphasis on teaching and on worship. And, you know, new songs were coming forth and, and uh, you know, waves of worship. And then a number of years, that was, so that was all in the, say, early 70s. But then there was another church associated with the main church, also in Auckland, where Marilyn and I were involved in for a few years after we came back from India. And in that church in West Auckland, in fact, it was just before we came up to Zion in 2003. But the, the church there, they had a Christian school, 
And, um, you know, God moved in that Christian school. And many young people at the church school, they, they experienced, you know, the, the tangible presence of God. And some of them, you know, some of them, they were prayed for and they'd, they'd fall down. And then class was supposed to start, but they'd be still, they'd been slain on the floor. And sometimes they, they cancelled class right up, to, right up to noon, even class was cancelled, because some of them were just, you know, on the floor under the power of God, and sometimes, you know, for an hour or more, and, and were there and, and meeting with the Lord. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was wonderful. There was an eight-year-old boy. He heard the audible voice of God, some slain in the spirit for several hours, some lay shaking as the power of God surged through them. Others wept. You know, others were, were taken and hit in heaven and saw the, you know, the beauty, the beauty of heaven. And, uh, you know, we just, you know, thank God. In the, the Timor, in the, the revival, in, there was a revival in Timor in Indonesia in the, about 1965. And there was a guy... And I'd read a book. I'd, I'd been saved. I was in New Zealand. And I'd read a book. It was by Mel Tari, and it was called Like a Mighty Wind. And it spoke about this, you know, revival in Timor, and in Indo which is an island in, in East Indonesia. And, and before that br a revival broke out, you know, God was dealing with people, you know, in, in the church and, and, uh, and, and, and getting them to put away all heathen practices, magic, superstitions, special days, magic horoscopes, and, uh, you know, there was a cleansing from sin and, and worldliness, and, and God, and then God began to pour out his spirit and, and miracles. Thousands came to the Lord, and incredible miracles. I mean, sometimes there was fire, literally the fire of God in the church, and, and unsaved people would see the fire in the church and call the fire trucks and the fire uh, department, and they would... They would the firefighters, and they'd come out, and then they'd be they'd go in, and, and the, the the it was God's fire. It was no human fire. There was no smell of fire or anything. It was the fire of God. And then some. And then there was this group that went out evangelizing from the from the from the main you know the, the main town was Kupang, and they went out to the villages, and a group I think about ten of them. They came to a deep river. They had to cross. There was no boat, and there was no way of doing it. God spoke to the leader, step out. He stepped out on the water and he walked and he worked one step, two step, and then about 10 followed him and they all went across. And they walked across that, I think it was 30 feet deep or more, and they walked across that deep river to the other, other side. And, uh, and then sometimes at communion time, on the Saturday, they draw out the water from the well and they take it to the church and on the Sunday it'd be turned into wine and they have the communion and... Uh, They'd, uh, you know, it was a miracle that happened. And there was one village where they, where they went to, and there was this, I think it was a boy, he'd been dead for several days. They walked around the, they walked round and round the coffin praying and, and crying out to God and uh, the Spirit of God and, and, and believing God. God imparted faith to them, and, and that boy was wonderfully raised up from the dead. And so, you know, one incredible miracles. And I, I was still young. I was still in my twenties, and when I first went to Indonesia, it was it was way back about 1970. And when I first went there in 1970, I met a I met a pastor. I met a pastor who was originally from Timor, and so I'd read the book, and so I was really keen to find out well what 
What, what's the situation now? Is the revival still going on? Is it continuing? What is happening? And I remember I was really saddened to hear his reply. And, and then he said that, you know, most of the, those who got saved, and thousands had got saved, he said most of them have gone, have, have backslid and gone back to their idols and so on, and, and were no longer serving the Lord. We're just totally nominal and, 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 and virtually that whole move of God had virtually come to nothing. And so then my next question to the, to the pastor from Timor, I said to him, you know, what was the reason? What was the main reason that this happened? And then he said, he said, he said there were two main reasons. One was, you know, there was sin in the lives of, of leaders, some of the leaders, because God had used them. You know, pride had not been dealt with. And, you know, they got lifted up and some fell into, you know, sexual sin, fornication, adultery. Others were not faithful with the money. And, of course, when people, miracles happened, you know, the finances poured in. But some of the leaders, there had not been a deep work in their hearts. And, and you know, they, they were not honest with the finance. And as Zechariah says, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And so... You know, we must cry out to God for godly character to be worked in our lives. Humility, meekness, righteousness, you know, that we would, we would be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And then, but then the other thing that he said to me, one was sin, and the other thing is because the leaders did not teach the people. They just, preaching the gospel is great if there's people unsaved there, but people can't live on that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because they're not going to grow, they're not going to mature. And uh, we can often, often people will get saved because of a miracle, but you can't keep people by miracles. They need to be rooted, they need to be instructed, they need to be grounded in the Word of God. And, you know, wherever we travel, there's all, in the nations today, everywhere, you know, there's, there's such a need, you know, for good teaching, sound doctrine, equipping, and for clear waters to go forth, you know, to the nations, to the nations. And just in closing, what can we do? What can we do? What, what do we do to prepare the way for revival? Because, you know, it is sovereign and only God can send revival. But there is a human element. And, you know, God, only God gives it. We can't work it up, but yet we can prepare the way for God to come. And I've touched on one already, ongoing repentance. You know, that on the day of Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit was poured out, you know, God had to deal with things in their lives. Think of Peter and James and John and their mum wanted them to be, you know, they want to be on the right hand, the left hand of Jesus. And there was envy, there was jealousy, there was pride. And this is only, you know, just before Jesus went, right before Jesus went to the cross. And, but at that upper room, for the Holy it says they were all in one accord. And so there must have obviously been repentance before the Holy Spirit came. And so... There was a dealing with sin and, and, and repentance, and there was a unity, and then the Holy Spirit came, God fell. You know, revival came on that early church. So an ongoing repentance is, 
is, is really important. Charles Finney, he was of the, it lived in the 1800s, and he, he saw many thousands come to Christ, and, and, and he said this, he said, revival is renewed conviction of sin and repentance, followed by an intense desire, you know, to, to, to press into God, to live in obedience to God. And it's very true, no repentance, no revival. There's a New Zealand missionary, his name was Ivor Davies, and he had a vision, you know, and he was, he, he was in the Congo, it was, it was called at that time in Central Africa, and he was basically, his heart was hard, and he, he was sort of kind of half backslid. And anyway, God gave him a vision of the stone, and, and God spoke to him, well, your heart is like that stone, it's hard. And he, it, it was hard. You know, he was critical. He was jealous of others. And, but then in the vision, he saw a stream of blood that came and touched his hardened heart. And he went to his African brethren. He put things right and uh, put things right. And God came. God came. Revival broke out. And hundreds and hundreds, thousands of those national workers and different churches that he was involved in, you know, all came to just a fresh experience uh, with the Lord. And, 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 a, and a great harvest was gathered in, in you know, a revival atmosphere. So, fresh repentance. And also, like Josiah, we can, we can dedicate our lives afresh, totally, to the Lord for the purposes of God. I, Josiah, he saw revival, and there was no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind. I mean, he was totally so consecrated, sold out to the Lord. Psalm 110.3 says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Or in the Hebrew, thy people shall be a willing offering a willing offering in the day of thy power. In other words, to offer our, our, our bodies, our lives, our time, our talents, our finances, everything we are, everything we have, that is dedicated, you know, to the Lord. You know, we're living with eternity's values in view. My final thing tonight, which is, which is, a tremendous key, I believe, in preparing the way, you know, is prayer for revival. Prayer for revival. And I'm glad you're meeting tomorrow night and get to pray. You know, pray for revival here in Clearwater. And, you know, virtually, if you study revivals, virtually every revival which we read about in church history and in the past it's been birthed sometimes by an individual, but more often by corporate prayer, by corporate intercessory prayer. In other words, like you know, like you're going to do tomorrow, we gather together to gather together to pray and cry out to God for His Spirit. It had not rained. One Kings chapter eighteen. It had not rained for three and a half years. But God showed Elijah, it is time for the rain to come. It is time. And so 
He knew it was the will of God. He knew it was the will of God. And he said in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 1, you know, we know that it was God's time for revival. And in verse 18 and verse 1, it came to pass after many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah. So it was, it was God's word. He heard God's voice. It was a rhema, a rhema word. And it, in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. There's a promise of rain. So he prayed that it would not rain and it had not rained for three and a half years. Now the word of God, everything's dry and barren and desolate. Animals are dying and the ground is dry and brown and arid. And he's told the opposite. He's told now is the time for rain. So he prays for rain. He prays for rain. It's God's time. And I believe it's God's time for revival in America, in Clearwater, in Florida. It is time. It is time. It is time. We're on the verge of the last day revival. And, and Zechariah says, ask of the Lord rain when? In the time of the latter rain. And we're just at the beginning of that latter rain period. It is time to ask for rain. And rain, of course, is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the rain of revival coming down. And, you know, so it, God said, I will send rain. So Elijah's prayer is not just him, just his good ideas or what he wants. No, he's praying what the mind of the Lord, what God wants. In our prayers, we want to find out what God wants us to pray for and then pray according to what God has in mind. Not our agenda, but his agenda. And so Elijah's prayer was based on God's promise. And, you know, Elijah, when he prayed, he was definite, he was specific in his prayer. And he zeroed in for that. James 5, 18, it speaks about Elijah. And it says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man has great, great power in its effect. And when Elijah prayed, when Elijah prayed, he prayed also with incredible faith. It was not just prayer, but it was prayer with faith. Because he said to Ahab, the king, the wicked king of Israel, he said, this is, this is while, it was, while there was no sign of rain, and he said, get up, eat and drink, for there's a sound of abundance of rain, the sound of you know abundance of rain. And then Elijah, it said he prayed fervently. He prayed fervently. And he, verse 42, he put his, and he cast himself upon the ground and he put his face between his knees. And he prayed and he prayed fervently, earnestly he prayed. And then, you know, he sent the servant once, twice, three times. Each time, is the rain? And the servant came back every time. Not a single little cloud, not, no, no indication whatsoever. But it didn't stop, it didn't stop, you know. It went on. And he sent him back. And he sent him back again. He sent him back. And the seventh time, there's that little cloud. And then it grew, bang, bang, bang. And before the, 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 the rain fell, the rain fell. And so probably the most important thing, or a very important thing that we can do to prepare the way for revival is that we would, you know, gather together to pray to seek God and believe him.
Let's pray.